Hi. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good to be here. Um, it, summer's over. Sorry about that. We tried. We tried to preserve it for you, but it's over. Um, my name is Casey Tigrid. I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at Parkview. I'm so excited to be a part of this series. A couple weeks ago, PT said that the younger generation is taking over. So we just decided to go ahead and move that up to now. So he's hogtied in the back. He was supposed to preach, but we just decided a hostile takeover is the best way to do this. So I'm excited about being here. This series has just been amazing, hasn't it? It's been unbelievable to walk through the life of Daniel and see all these challenges that have come up and to see all of the places where God displays this true, powerful courage. But I think it's interesting to believe that courage sometimes is seen as something that you have before you get into a circumstance. But a lot of times courage actually has to come to you in the middle of a circumstance because it's kind of an emotional roller coaster, much like this kid found out. Sometimes you got it, and sometimes you got to get it in the middle. Daniel has seen some amazing things happen. Daniel's life has been threatened twice by crazy kings who thought they were God. Daniel watched three of his friends go into a fiery furnace and come out on the other side smelling, not like they've been in a furnace, but smelling very clean. He, he watched these things happen, and it's amazing because I think in our lives we need to see that people actually survive something. We need to see that there are other people who are like us going through some of the things that we have gone through. And maybe we haven't gone into a furnace, but maybe it's been something similar. It's so good to see that there are others who are struggling with similar things and coming out alive on the other side. That's why we believe so heavily here in small groups, because the greatest thing about a small group is that you can watch other people who are struggling with a lot of the same things that you're struggling with, watching them come through it and come through it alive. So when you came in in your bulletin, you got a card that says weird at the top of it. We're starting a new series. If you you want to take that out and look at it. We're starting a new series in September called Weird When Normal Isn't Working. And this form is all about the fact that we need people to open up their homes. We need people to open up their homes and host a small group during September, during this series, because I can't tell you how many individuals I've talked to who are going through difficult times who said, I just wish there was somebody who could have spoken into my life at that moment. Somebody who could have been there to see what I was going through and helped me and show me that it was normal and that people survive these kind of things all the time. So if you're thinking and you're like, I don't know about hosting a small group, listen, here's the reality. You could be saving somebody's life, one of your friends, one of your family members, one of your neighbors. You could be saving their life by just opening up your home, throwing out some snacks, plugging in a DVD. It's that simple. So please give some consideration to hosting a group coming up in September. We'll have time to sign up to get into one, but we need hosts, people who are going to open up their homes and provide space for people to live. We'll get more instruction about that at the end of the message. But in any case, Daniel has seen a lot in his life, and his friends have seen a lot. And I've got to imagine that at this point, they're feeling like they're kind of bulletproof, you know? We've been through all this stuff. We've been through furnaces. We've been through crazy kings, and we're not dead. We are unstoppable. We are untouchable. And then we get to Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and this is what we find. It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now, satraps are like mayors or governors. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss, to make sure that everybody pays their taxes. So now Daniel was distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom to make him basically vice president. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. 
government official who's neither corrupt nor negligent. I'm not even sure that's English. Does that, does that, does that person exist? Um, so Daniel, what we know about him from this whole story is he's always conducted himself with wisdom and tact. He's always known where to go to get the information to make the decision in the situation that he's facing. He's always reconnected with God in those moments, in those tough times. Because the reality is, as much as it was for Daniel, it is for us today. When we are facing tough circumstances, we always have a decision to make. When we're facing tough circumstances, there is always a decision before us that we have to make. So there's a young woman, and she wakes up in the morning, and she looks in the mirror. And when she looks in the mirror, she can't stand what she sees. All she sees is someone who is ugly, someone who is not worth anything, someone who will never be beautiful, someone who will never be worthy of being loved. And this sight makes her sick, and so she turns away. But as she turns away, all she can see is her left arm. And she sees the scars from times when she has cut herself on purpose just to try and feel something, feel pain, feel anything at all. She sees the sun coming through the blinds and realizes another day is coming, but it's not going to be a good day. It's not a day she looks forward to. It's a day filled with more inner struggle, more ridicule, more pain, more being made fun of, more being excluded. And she just thinks there's got to be better things than this. There's really only one decision for me. There's really only one way out. So she leans forward and she breathes on the mirror. And she writes in the steam, there is no life in this lion's den. So obviously the other people in Daniel's government group, they don't want anything good to happen to him. They don't want to see him get ahead because they would like to have that position of power instead. And so they get together and they decide that they're going to go after his weakest place, which is his strongest place. And this is the way that this kind of thing plays out. Daniel chapter 6 verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now this is a different scenario than Daniel and his friends have faced before. This is not some crazy king way up here at the top calling things down. These are guys that are Daniel's peers. These are, are people who are around him every day. This is more of an everyday battle kind of situation. And a lot of times when we find ourselves in lion's den, when we find ourselves in tough circumstances, sometimes it comes from way above us, but sometimes it comes from the people that we're with all the time. Our families, our friends, our coworkers, they put us through things. And for whatever reason, these men have taken it on them to go after Daniel. And the way they're going to sink him is to give him a choice. A choice between life and the God that he loves and he serves. The threat of death or the connection with the God that he respects and the God who has led his friends through the fiery furnace. So they devised a plan. All 122 politicians, that's the two advisors and the 120 satraps, they all come together. Now when 122 government officials come together and agree on something, we all should be a little bit scared. So they agree to this and they go to the king and they said, King, you've been working really hard lately. We've seen it. You're doing such a good job. Kudos to you. You've been working really hard and you're looking kind of stressed. And so I, we think that you need something to kind of build your self-esteem back up a bit. So let's just say for the next 30 days, for this next month, everybody prays to you and nobody else. What do you think? 
And if they don't pray to you in the next month, if they pray to somebody else, well, you got that big pit of lions out back. Um, we haven't used it in a while. I'm throwing some steak down there. They're still pretty hungry. If they don't pray to you, maybe we just let them spend some time with the kitties. What do you think? The king says, I have been working really hard lately. It's probably a good thing to happen. And so in Daniel chapter 6, verse 9, it says, So Darius put the decree in writing. Now, Daniel's an important person to King Darius, but Darius obviously does not know him very well. Because if he knew him very well, he would realize by making this law, he was basically giving Daniel his death sentence. We find a father sitting at a kitchen table. It's late at night, nobody else is up. All the lights are out, and he's sitting there, and he has a stack of white envelopes in front of him. White used to be such a happy color. It used to be the color of wedding dresses, the color of little girls' dresses at Easter as they played and hunted for eggs. But now white has kind of taken on that pale color of death. He's got bills that he can't pay because he hasn't worked in a, in a good long while. And the stress of this life is just crunching his shoulders. He hasn't slept well. He hasn't eaten well. His eyes are rimmed with red because of the stress and the change that's going on in his life. His relationship with his wife and his kids has become strained because he's had a hard time telling them, look, we're in trouble. And he feels isolated. He feels alone. Like there's no one that can come and help me at this moment. There's no one who can bring me through this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't really have a choice here. And so in that deafening silence, he clicks a pen and takes one of the envelopes and flips it over. And on the back of it, he writes, there is no life in this lion's den. Now, Daniel hears the decree of the king, and he knows this is going to turn out bad for him. He knows that this is an urgent situation. And when Daniel is faced with urgent situations, he goes to the one person, the one place, the one source of life and hope for him. He goes to prayer. He runs upstairs. He throws open his windows. He faces Jerusalem, his homeland, where he grew up, the place that he longs to be. And he goes to his knees and he begins to pray. Now, before we get too all messed up with Daniel, thinking, well, Daniel, uh, Daniel's really happy. He's a Bible guy. All Bible guys are really happy, aren't they? Don't they just go walking around this like blissful Bible person cloud all the time? Like, God's got it. It's awesome. I'm fine. Whatever, lions. Who cares? I don't think so. And the reason we know that is because there was a custom for the way people prayed in this time. The Hebrew people would pray one of two ways. They would either pray standing with their arms outstretched, which was a very common way of praying, the way that you prayed every day. Or they would go to their knees and pray. And when they went to their knees and pray, that was the urgent situation. When the fertilizer is hitting the fan, you go to your knees to pray. When you are in danger and you have a decision and you need an answer, you go to your knees to pray. When you can hear the jaws of the lions clicking, you go to your knees to pray. So Daniel is not just blissfully unaware of all the challenges and all the pains and struggles that are about to come. He is on his knees, and I can't imagine what he's praying. I would assume he's praying something like, God, make them just small lions. You know, make them all tiny lion cubs. Or make them lions who are like in a lion union, and they're on a hunger strike, and they're not. Make them vegetarian lions. Uh, something like that. Make them the Detroit lions. They can't hurt anybody. Just... Work with me here, God. He's not, he's aware of the challenge. He's aware of the struggle and he's praying to God, God, I don't want to be in this place. 
And when the lion's dens that we face, we come to that moment and we look around and we go, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this. I don't want to have to deal with this struggle that I'm dealing with right now. I don't know where else to go. So God, I'm coming to you. Let it, let it pass by. Jesus is hanging on the cross. You can't tell what is bone and what is flesh anymore. The blood has just covered everything. And all you know is that there is a person who used to be who's hanging there expiring. And Jesus looks out over the crowd and the crowd is different. Some of them are, are cheering for him and saying and weeping and mourning for him. And then some of them are just righteously, painfully, miserably angry. And they're sneering and they're yelling insults. Yeah, if you're the son of God, save yourself. And this deep well of anger is just exploding from them. And Jesus looks at them and he says one of the oddest things in the world, one of the oddest prayers I've ever heard. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in that pain, even in that moment, Jesus says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I wonder if he saw behind their eyes, behind their rage, behind all of the darkness that was coming out of their mouths. And he just said, there is no life in this lion's den. What happens next to Daniel is not a mystery. The 122, they've been waiting for this moment. They've been waiting for Daniel to finally crack, finally go to his room, and finally go to prayer, and they've been watching for it. And so they all run together, all 122 of them, like little kids who have just realized somebody did something they were, not, they were told not to. Ooh, 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 Darius, Darius. Mm, he's praying, and he's not praying to you. Uh, he's in trouble. Get him. They go to the king and they say, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you. Oh, king, or the decree you put in writing, he prays three times a day still. And the king at this point realizes what he's done. Oh, no. And he tries to change it, but he can't change the law. The law is in writing, so it can't be changed. He just realized that he sealed Daniel's fate, and now he's going to have to make good on his promise. He realizes that the very prayer that Daniel is praying at that moment, the prayer that Daniel prays to get back to his source of life is the prayer that's going to take his life from him. How ironic. And so he calls the soldiers and Daniel's seized by the guards and he's thrown in the lion's den. And this is what Darius says. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. That's the biblical equivalent of good luck. And for one night, Daniel spends it in the lion's den. One whole night, the man who is praying to God for help spends it in the presence of animals who are ready to devour him. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. You're in the presence of a situation that's ready to swallow you up. Daniel spends a whole night in the lion's den. The king tries to sleep. He can't eat anything. He doesn't want to watch any DVDs. He doesn't want to be entertained. He just can't even focus because he's so troubled in his soul. Meanwhile, the 122 have now tapped a keg and brought out the karaoke machine. They're in full celebration because what they've always wanted has finally happened. Daniel's going down. Woohoo! Put on a hat. In the midst of the lion's den, as Daniel waits... There's despair. There's despair in the heart of the king. Who knows what Daniel was thinking? But in the midst of those lion's dens, that's where we are. When we're in the middle of it, we begin to despair. The young woman despairs that she'll never feel value and worth. 
The father and husband despairs that he'll never be able to get out from under the debt. Jesus despairs over the people who are screaming insults at him while he's on the cross. Despair begins to fill everything. And Jesus even says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when we're in the lion's den, we say the same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Why have you left us behind? Let us go through this. But, there's some great buts in the Bible, and this is one of the best of them. Some of you got that. (laughs) King Darius, the next morning, pokes his head into the lion's den, and he says something very odd just because he doesn't quite know what to say. You know, when you have that moment when you don't know what to say, so you say something dumb just to fill the space? This is what Darius does. He says, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, uh, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue from the lions? Like, is everything all right down there? How'd it go? You dead? I would have loved it if Daniel had responded, no, it's good. It's good. It's actually quite cozy down here. Other than the giant lion staring at me like I'm a New York strip, everything's great. How about you? How's the kids? You vacationing this year? Darius has the stone rolled back from the opening when he finds that Daniel's alive and he has Daniel drawn out and he stands him up on the side of the cave and he says, everybody listen, whatever this God is that Daniel follows is much better than me. I got a wake up call here. I realize that I'm not God. People shouldn't pray to me. But here's what's going to happen. I make a decree in Daniel 6.26 that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall, no, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. When the king asked Daniel, are you all right? He says, yes, my God snaps shut the jaws of lions. That's the kind of God I serve. So even in the midst of this lion's den king, I am alive because contrary to popular belief, there is life in this lion's den. Honestly, when you see somebody survive the trials and struggles that we've seen people survive and they say, this is because of God, don't you just go, I want some of that. Whatever they've got, whatever they're sm- whatever that is, I want some of that. That's the God I want to be a part of. The God who saves people from the lions and and it transforms everything, doesn't it? It changes because it says that in the tough circumstances we do have a decision to make and the decision we need to make is to trust God. Because God shows us through Daniel that there is life beyond the lion's den. That he's there with us. In that moment when we feel despair, when we feel there's no one else, there's no other decisions, there's nothing else that we can conceive of that will bring us out of that moment, God is there to say, in your lion's den there is life to be found. There is hope where you are, regardless of what you may have been convinced of by the 122 or by your friends or your family or the people around you. There is life in your lion's den so that the young woman can take her mirror and smash it because God has promised her you are beautifully and wonderfully made and I will love you and someone else will love you. It will happen. Don't despair. Don't fret. There is life in the lion's den. The husband can tear up the white 
bills. They still have to be paid, but he can no longer be a slave to them because God has said, because I love you, I will take you through this time. There is life in your lion's den. Jesus from the cross can understand and know And when I come down off of here, I'm going into the grave, but I'm coming out the other side because there is life in this lion's den. What an amazing promise. What a powerful promise. The reality is that the lion's den serves to do one very important thing for us. It shapes us into who we're supposed to be. Suffering is God's greatest tool to make us the people we were born to be. And that's not fun. I realize that every time I look at my life and every time I'm encountering one of those moments where it feels like there's a reason to despair, that I am at the very place where Daniel was. God, you've done it before, but will you come through again? Can I trust you? Can I trust you? Something amazing happens to us when we trust him whether it means going into the den or whether it means staying away from it. Paul says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. When we know that there's life beyond the lion's den, we can walk into these struggles and these situations we face every day and say, look, this is making me into someone that I need to be. This is transforming my soul and my spirit so that when the next thing comes along, when the next lion's den, the next furnace, the next two crazy kings, I can say, God has always been there and no matter what happens I know there is life beyond this that I don't have to be a slave to it I had a friend named Cameron Cameron was an interesting dude Cameron ran about 6'4 about 250 so when I was with him I tried not to stand behind him because it just was intimidating. I'm like, dude, hello. Cameron was an incredible athlete, a very outgoing kind of guy. He loved to lift weights and run and play golf. And he, he, but more than that, his favorite passion was hunting. If it ran and it was legal, he would shoot it. <laughs> and he never hunted with a rifle or any kind of firearm. He always used either a crossbow or a compound bow. So he was a very accurate kind of hunter. He wanted the challenge of having to hit just the right spot. I should probably tell you that after the age of 19, Cameron was 100% legally blind. A rare genetic disorder took his sight at the age of 19. And so he spent a little period after that in the lion's den, saying, God, why have you brought me here? Why have you done this? You've taken away the things that I love, the passions that I have. I can't have them anymore. They're gone. And so he spent a little time in the lion's den, but what he finally came out with was, the God who rescues people can give me life, can rescue me from this moment. I'm not going to pack it in. I'm going to keep living. I'm going to keep hunting. Now, I know what that does in your head, like a huge dude with a crossbow who's blind, is not a comforting thought. It wasn't comforting to me either when I first met him. So the question is, how does he do that? He actually set a record. He shot four turkeys in the four major world regions after he had lost his sight. He's one of the only handicapped hunters in the world to have ever done that. How does he do this? Well, he takes somebody with him. He has a sight on his bow that's offset, and someone sits over his shoulder and aims him. Left, right, up, down, ready, aim, fire. He shot bears like that. I mean, animals that could kill you if you don't hit them right. He shot a lot of incredible animals with someone behind him saying, ready, aim, fire. See, the key to going through the lion's den is to realize we don't have the ability to see everything clearly. 
All we see is a big pit filled with lions, but God sees something else. That's why it's so vital for us to trust him in those moments. It's so vital for us to check into that. Instead of shutting down, instead of just saying, there's nothing I can do about this, I've exhausted all my options, is there someone, is there a source, is there a God who can see something that I can't see? Someone who can be in my ear, over my shoulder, saying, ready, aim, fire. I never got to be Cameron's guide because it had to be somebody he trusted. And apparently he's like, dude, no, no. You know, wherever it's going to go. So that comes to the question is, in those tough times, when we have that decision to make, who are we going to trust? Who are we going to trust? In the times when the lion's den challenges us, are we going to trust ourselves to get through it? Are we going to trust our own intuition, our own understanding, our own wisdom? Look, we can't see around corners. That's why we desperately need road signs. That's why we desperately need signs in our lives. Like this one. Like, I don't know what that's all about. I'm just very thankful that someone is telling me that that's about to happen. There's a bit of mental and spiritual preparation you need to do to be able to like, okay, this is what's going to happen to me next. And that's what happens to us in the lion's den moments. We get challenged because we just don't know what's coming next. We can't see beyond the challenge in front of us to know, is there life beyond this? Is there life beyond this lion's den? And that's why we desperately need God in those moments. We desperately need to seek him in prayer on our knees. When the fertilizer hits the fan, we need to be there to say, God, this moment, I've got nothing. I can't see around corners. You know what's coming next. Tell me. Tell me where to aim. Tell me when to fire. The scripture speaks of it this way in Psalm 25. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. This is a necessity because to hope in ourselves, we never make it out of the lion's den. To hope in anyone else but God, we don't know how to go through it. We don't know how to come out healthy on the other side. We just don't. We don't have it within us to do that. We can't promise that we're going to escape it. We can't promise that we're going to make it through it. But it's all rooted in one very strong fear. And that's the fear that we have to get to the the core of. And that's the fear that the 122 thought that they were confronting Daniel with, which is the fear of death. This is the pick-me-up part of the message. We're all afraid of dying. And they use that as a threat against Daniel. Look, you could either die horribly at the hands of the lions or you can do what we ask you to do. You can compromise. But what's very interesting about the lion's den is when Daniel comes out, everybody knows something different now. They know that death no longer is something to be afraid of. At the core of it, we fear the lion's den because it represents death. We fear the struggles and tragedies and things that we go through every day because it represents the fact that one day we're going to get old and saggy and not attractive anymore and we are going to go to the grave. It reminds us of that. It reminds us of how frail we are. And we fear the end of that. But because of the lion's den and because of one other very important thing, death no longer has those teeth because... Jesus had been buried for some time and three of his friends came to the tomb and they found the stone over the entrance to the lion's den or the tomb rolled away 
And when they went inside, they found angels. Instead of a dead body rotting and stinking, they found angels who said this. The angel spoke to the women, there is nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross, but he is not here. He was raised just as he said, come and look at the place where he was placed. You expected to find your friend here, dead at the hands of the lions, but he is not here. And since he's not here, that means he's right. And since he's right, there is no longer a death that you have to be afraid of. The reason that the lion's den no longer has to challenge us is because there's no longer any reason to fear death. There's no longer any reason to fear the stone being rolled over the tomb because Jesus in righteousness and power kicked it away and walked out to a new life and welcomes us to the same thing. Paul says it this way, when we join our lives together with Jesus, we were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life. A life where we see the lion's den coming, we trust God is going to bring us through it, and even if he doesn't, we know that there is life on the other side. We no longer have to be afraid of that. Could you imagine what your life would look like if you lived it without the fear of dying? Could you imagine what people, what a world would look like filled with people who said, the lion's den is not the end. I don't have to fear my struggles or my trials anymore because this is not the end. There is more to it than this. A life for the young woman without the fear of each new day. A life for the father without the fear of each new bill. A life for us without fear of each new lion that challenges us. What would that be like? What would that be like? When we join with Jesus, when we get baptized, when we lay aside that old agenda, our old way of dealing with challenges and struggles and lion's dens, we realize there's one key truth. Jesus kicked away the stone and said, you don't have to be afraid anymore. So go to the lion's den. Pray bravely. Embrace the life that I'm asking you to. I will be in your ear saying, ready, aim, when the time comes, I will help you see around the corner. When the time comes, I will help you see beyond the lions. When the time comes, I will lead you through to something that you could never have imagined for yourself. Romans 8.18 says it this way, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The lion's dens that we face today, they are going to challenge us. They're not easy to overcome. But beyond it, there is life. The promise of the cross, the promise of the empty tomb is that there is life beyond the lion's den. There is glory beyond the suffering. And yes, it's awful in the moment. And yes, it takes our energy and our tears. But in the end, we know that there's a God who's waiting for us and a glory that's going to be revealed in us. Look, today, whatever lion's den you're facing, you don't face it alone. Jesus has been there. He went to the tomb, he went into the darkness, he faced the clicking of their jaws, and he came out alive and whole on the other side. You don't have to be a slave to fear any longer. When you lay it down, when you have it washed away, you can have someone else guiding you, someone else you can trust who says, ready, aim, fire. And maybe you're struggling because you're trying to avoid the lion's den because of what it may hold. Look, you can only do that for so long. Jesus' call is, do you believe that I know what's going to come on the other side? Do you believe that there's a possibility that I could see around the corner and that when you come out the other side, there's life to be found?
Would you engage me in just the possibility? Let me sit on your shoulder. And the question for us today is that God is the only one we can trust to lead us through the lion's den. So, in the midst of it, in the midst of the challenge you're facing, will you be willing to say, God, I surrender my agenda. I surrender my way of dealing with this. Sit on my shoulder, speak into my ear, and tell me, ready, aim, Union, so I'm going to ask the servers to go ahead and find their way to the back. It's amazing to me when you, when you spend time with the story of Jesus that there's this decision that was facing him. Jesus takes three of his best buddies and he goes off to a garden and this is right before he's about to be crucified, arrested, tried, and crucified. And, and he goes to this garden with his buddies and he says, you guys wait here, I'm going to, I'm going to go pray. And he goes to prayer and he goes to talk to his father. And he says, look, dad, this is the Casey translation. He says, look, dad, I get it. I know you love these people and I, I, know, I know what has to happen now. I know you want to rescue them. I know you want to save them. I, I get it. But can we do it differently? Is there any other way other than this trial, this beating, this crucifixion? Is there, is there another way for us to save them? And it's similar to the question we ask, God, do I have to go through this? Really? Could I, could I just like compromise a little bit? Just a little bit? But at the end of the prayer, Jesus says, all right, but you know it's not about what I want to do. It's about what you want to do. And because of that, Jesus went from the cross to the grave and out the other side. And at Easter, we celebrate the fact that we no longer have to fear death because he said, whatever, God, you want to do, you see around corners. You know what's coming next. You know that there's life on the other side of this, so I'm going to trust you. No matter what, you may rescue me, and even if you don't, I'm going to trust you. So when we come to communion, this isn't, this isn't one of those things that we do every week just to kind of load up for the week to come and then we come back. And it's not one of those things that we just do because we're a church and that's what churches do. It, it's a celebration that says, because of the decision that Jesus made, we take these elements to remind us that in those tough circumstances, we have the choice and we have the power behind that choice because... Because of Jesus, because of the blood and the body, because of the bread and the wine, we have the choice to say, whatever happens next, no matter what, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. So as you take these elements, would you remember that? Because whatever it is that you're going through, you have a decision. Will you try to do it on your own? Will you compromise? Or will you trust God to see around the corner and say, no matter what, I'm, I'm going with you? As the trays come by, there are two cups. You reach in and grab both those cups and take them out and hold them. We're all going to commune together. You don't have to be a member at Parkview to take communion with us. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, you're more than welcome to take communion. Let me pray. Jesus, because of all that you've done, because of the fact that you ran out of the grave alive and well, we have this moment where we can celebrate with your body and your blood 
and say, this is the reason for hope. This is the only reason left for hope in the world, that someone died and came back to life and gives us the power to do the same. And so as we take these elements, God, remind us, remind us of that reality and drive us this, this week with that unbelievable message in our hearts. Thank you for this time, Father. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.